0: The Corum Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is Psalm 38. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation, there is no health in my bones because of my sin, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares, those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open m- his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O oh Lord, do I wait. It is you. O Lord, my God, who will answer? For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thank you for letting me be here. It's always a joy to be back here, even though there's so many new faces for me. Can I just tell you, it's hard to see this when you're in it, but... The life of God is in the room. In your hospitality, in your worship, in your joy, just God's spirit is with you, and I just want you to be encouraged by that. As Bob said, we got our start in campus ministry. Uh, so we spent a lot of time with young men whose like, frontal lobes are not yet fully formed. <laughs> Smart guys, ambitious, some of them pursuing God, but at least like once a semester, they would just make a really bad decision. In some area of their life, they would totally blow it, and then they would show up at Starbucks. And Back then, I had Starbucks. I've come a long way in my life. They would show up at Starbucks and just ask, like, what do I do now? And uh, when I moved here to do church ministry, I thought, church ministry? That would be nice, like adults. Adults make better decisions in life. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Turns out, it's the human story. You get three chapters into the Bible, and the humans sin against God and make a mess of the good creation. And the shame that they feel is so heavy, it's so great that they hide from God. Like every day of their life, they had met and walked and talked with God, and now all of a sudden, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to come to Him. And today, as we come to Psalm 38, we're just looking at another episode in that storyline. Psalm 38 is the prayer, a prayer of King David, in the aftermath of his sin. And it's not pretty. It's one of the lowest points in all of the Psalms. David is sick. He is depressed. His friends have abandoned him. His enemies, his political enemies, are plotting against him. And even though these themes are pretty common in David's life, what's unique in this Psalm is that it's really clear that David believes that the reason for his misery his sickness and his suffering is because of his own sin. He, he senses that God is disciplining him for his sin. Now, the Bible cautions us not to always assume that sickness and suffering is a result of personal sin, especially in others. You know, like see the whole book of Job. See John 9, where Jesus corrects this assumption among his disciples. So, suffering, sickness is not always connected to personal sin, but sometimes it is. There are examples in the Old Testament and in the New Testament where God brings suffering, sickness even, into people's lives because he's disciplining them for their sin. One of the ways God disciplines his people is he exposes them. That's what happens to David. David does not initially confess his sin. He gets exposed by a prophet named Nathan. And if you've ever been, like, found out in your sin, you know that's worse, much worse. There is, like, an immediate shame and embarrassment, immediate damage to your reputation and your relationships. And if you start looking even even into, like, scientific studies, there is often physical and psychological effects Associated with a situation like that of being found out. Some of you've been there. Some of you might be there today. It feels like waves of just guilt and shame keep coming, like you're gonna drown in it. That's the way David describes it in this psalm. And so the question is what do you do when you're in that place? Or how do you help someone? who's in that place. The Psalms tell us we lament. There are various kinds of lament in the Psalms. Psalm 38 is a penitential lament, and in plain language that just means that even when you have blown it, when you have made a mess of your life, you can still come to God. And Psalm 38 shows us how. And so I just wanna look at this Psalm as it is. There's, There's four parts to this prayer. There's an address to God, and then there's an offer of complaint, and then there's a request for help, and then there's an expression of trust. Most laments kind of follow that pattern. This one's no different. And so let's start with the first part an address to God. Psalm 38, verse 1, the first word in the psalm, O Lord. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. Nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. David's suffering is is so bad that he feels like God's being too harsh. Look, Look how he describes it. He says it's like God has taken these arrows and shot them at him, and they're sinking into his body. He says it feels like God's hand of opposition is just pressing down on me. And so essentially what David's saying here is like, God, if, if you must discipline me, I understand, but don't discipline me in your anger. Have mercy on me. It's easy to associate anger with discipline because discipline hurts. And you think like, why would a person who loves me bring pain into my life? And when you start pressing into that question, what you begin to realize is that Divine anger is actually essential to divine love. Think about something you love or someone you love. Part of what it means to love someone is to hate everything that opposes and threatens them. And so God loves his people. He wants good for his people. But sin ruins his people, deceives and destroys his people. And so God hates sin because he loves you. So God does not pour out his wrath on children, even though it feels like that. What God does is he corrects and disciplines them for their good. What feels like arrows and a hand of opposition is often the love of God. It's just hard to see it in the moment. When my kids were younger, I've got two boys, they're 16 and 20, and when they were younger, I I would discipline them, I would correct them for their bad decisions and misbehavior and Usually, they would just look at me and say, Dad, this hurts, but I know it's because you love me. Thank you. <laughs> no, no child has done that ever. <laughs> Kids don't like discipline, right? It, feel, it hurts. It feels like you're against them. That's how they think of it. Later, I'm told, someday, they're able to look back and see the love in it. That's my retirement plan. I want my kids to say, thanks, Dad. (laughs) This is what Hebrews 12 says. In the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so, look, if you know God as your father, as David does, then you can turn to him even when you've blown it. That's what David does, and that's what we must do. I was talking to my wife, Debbie, about this passage uh, a week ago, and uh, I was just telling her how dark and gloomy it is, how much you guys were gonna love it. (laughs) And she told me about a counseling class she had taken a number of years ago, and she said, this reminds me of, in the class they taught us that when you're sitting across from someone they may be in this kind of misery. They may be in pain and sickness and suffering and feel God's hand upon them. And the human tendency is to want to make them feel better, like right away, to say whatever you can to help them feel better. And in her training, they just said, hey, be careful about that. Sometimes God may have this person in that place for a reason, to teach them, to correct them, to draw near to them. Don't short circuit it. And we need to take that counsel for our own lives. What do you do when you've made a mess of things? When you've been found out? What do you do? Do you look for a way to feel better? Do you turn and look for some escape, look to other people for attention or affirmation? Do you turn inward into your own thoughts? Maybe to like justify yourself or condemn yourself if that makes you feel better? What do you do? Those are normal ways of responding to sin in our own lives. David's simply inviting us to do something different, to, in that place, turn to God. Right? That's the first step of the prayer. As hard as it is, turn to God. The second thing is to offer your complaint. Most of us are pretty good about complaining. This is different than that. This is complaining to God, bringing your complaint to God. Look at verse three. He says, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. So when he says, there's no soundness in my flesh, he's saying there is, like in my body, there is weakness and unhealth. And there's no health in my bones. He's saying inwardly, there's emotional distress and pain. And he just he develops this throughout the psalm. So verse 5, you can see, he says, my wounds stink and fester. My sides are filled with burning, in verse 7. In verse 11, he refers to his condition as a plague. Right, That's all the physical weakness. And then the emotional distress, verse 8, he says, I groan because of the anguish in my heart. In verse 18, he just says, I'm sorry for my sin. Verse four captures his desperation really well. I think, my iniquities have gone over my head. He's saying, it's like the the waters of shame and guilt and pain and suffering, they're just rising and I'm gonna drown in them. And he says, they're like a heavy burden too heavy for me. They're like, they're like a weight that's been placed on his back and thrown him to the ground. And now all he can do, he's just prostrate, mourning his sin. You ever feel that way? Like it's just, it's just too much? This is the longest part of the psalm, it, it, the complaint. It's just David telling God how bad things are. He wants God to see it. And have mercy on him. And so he just talks about various categories of suffering. First, he talks about his physical condition. Verse 5. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. And so he's got some kind of disease. And the sight of it and the smell of it is repulsive. Repulsive. But he's not blaming God for it. He's saying, this sickness is because of my foolishness, is what he says. And that's a word for, like, foolish sins. It has the meaning of, like, stupidity and immaturity. You know, like, in the moment, sometimes sin makes sense. And then not long after that, you look back, and you're like, that was so stupid. That's what he's saying. Like, I can only imagine how many times Adam and Eve we're sitting around looking at each other with their silly clothes on, their blistered hands, and they were like, "What were we? Th- that was so stupid." See, sin is a trap. In the moment, it looks good, it tastes good, it smells good, it seems wise, and then when you bite into it, that sucker's rotten. And David is just saying, I feel so stupid for walking into that trap. I'm so sorry. And now he's just mourning over that bad decision. All right, happy so far. Verses one and two, God is disciplining me. Verses three through eight, it hurts all over. And now in verse nine, he's going to shift to his emotional condition. We're going to look inward. Verse nine, oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. He's acknowledging that even the inarticulate parts of his soul, the groans, the sighing, his thoughts, his intentions, his motives, all of it, God sees it. And for some people, that's a scary thought. But for David, it's good news because he's well past trying to hide anything. He's laying it all out there because he, he wants God to see how desperate he is. Look at verse 10. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. In the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. This is the language of depression. If you've ever known anybody who's depressed or been depressed, this is the kind of stuff they say. Like, I'm out... Of ideas I'm out of options I'm out of energy I, just got, I got nothing left in the tank that's where David's at and so he just pushes all his chips to the center of the table and says here, here I am God spent broken I got nothing to offer but my pain and just a plea for mercy Sometimes in Christian circles, we say things like, when you finally surrender it all to God, then things get better. Not here, not here. They, they get worse, actually. On top of his physical pain, on top of his emotional distress, now he adds social consequences, relational pain. Look at verse 11. My friends and companions stand aloof, From my plague. My nearest of kin stand far off. Have you ever seen this happen? Like when someone's physically ill or mentally ill, sometimes we just don't know what to do with that. We don't know what to say, we don't know how to respond, and so we end up withdrawing from them. Maybe not on purpose, but we do it. I've done that. The same is true when someone sins and just makes a total mess of their lives. We don't always know what to do with that either. And so we end up avoiding those people. It's a tragic irony, isn't it? That when people most need support, it's in those situations that they least naturally attract it. Listen, the gospel changes this radically. First of all, when God saved us, we were not you know, doing good and just needed a little boost to get over the hump in life. The scriptures say we were dead in our sins and trespasses following the course of this world. We were weak, ungodly, helpless, without hope. That's where we were when God saved us. See, we like to help people who are like almost there, they're doing good and they just need like a little bit of our help and that's gonna really go a long way in their life. That's not where we were. And you read through the Gospels and you see, you know, Jesus was drawn to people who were not close. He was drawn to the outcast and the sinner, the Pharisees and the tax collectors. He he engaged with them. Jesus was drawn to the sick and the weary. And now our calling as his people is to love each other as he has loved us. And so, look, it it would be great if you guys would just resolve together to move toward the mess in each other's lives. You won't know what to say. You won't know what to do. It'll be uncomfortable. might cost you something. But this is who you are. You're the people of God. God has brought you near to one another in Christ, so let us not stand far off from each other. In David's life... His friends have moved far off. The only people moving toward him are his enemies. Look at verse 12. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. David's saying, it's like I'm on cliff's edge. I'm about to go over, and instead of my friends pulling me back to safety, my enemies stand by to kind of tip me a little tip. What's weird here is David has he's done all the things that we in our culture want people to do when they've publicly messed up. He has taken responsibility for his failures. He's contrite, but his enemies want to exploit his failure. He's trying to do good now. He says, I follow after good, but his enemies don't care. In fact, the more he talks about God's grace and how he's doing good now, the more they despise him. This is such a low place. Sickness, depression, loneliness, haters. It just doesn't get any lower. And it's easy for us to read a Psalm like this and think, that's not really me. I know it's easy to do that, because I did that. I've been reading through the Psalms this year. One Psalm a day. And I read the psalm slowly, try to reflect on it. And then I write a prayer in the emotion and mood of the psalm. It's so hard because I'm like emotionally dysfunctional. And so it's forcing me to like feel things that I don't know how to feel, which is why I'm doing it. I'm trying to expand my emotional capacity for worship. That's a thing. And so I, the day that I came to Psalm 38, I read Psalm 38. And my first thought was, I don't like feel like that at all. Now, I mean, I have low days, but on that day, I was feeling pretty good about myself. And that's a trap. And so I actually just kind of, I mean, because my first thought was, I guess I'm not going to write a prayer today. It's just, that sounds worse coming out than it did, but. <laughs> so I, I step back from my desk and I just say, Lord, I'm an idiot. Would you, would you show me what's going on in my life? Would you show me my need, my longing, my sin? And he did things just started coming to my mind. Thoughts I'd had, relationships, things I'd done and things I'd not done. That's not a category I usually think of. I started thinking about some unfulfilled longings in my life. And so as these things are coming to mind, I'm beginning to write prayers about them, and it forced me to go into a lot more detail than I normally would. Like, I I tend to minimize sin and struggle, but writing the prayer out made me sit in it for a little bit, I had to not just be aware of it, I had to feel it. As I did that, I not only became more aware of my sin, I became more aware of the consequences of it, and therefore more aware of my desperate need for God's mercy. It would have been easier to pray in generalities, it would have been easier to check the quiet time box and move on with the real work. See, but the reason we offer our complaint to God, even though he already knows, the reason we go into detail about it, the reason we sit in it for a little bit, is because God is using that time to draw us near to himself. So I'd love for you guys to try this this week. Instead of complaining, bring your complaint to God. Take some time to go into detail about your life with him. Confess your sin. Articulate your longings. Tell them how you feel about what's going on in your life. And then, from that place of need, you can go to the next step in the prayer. The third thing is he asks God to act. So we turn to God, we offer our complaint, and then we ask him to act. Verse 13. David's enemies are coming close, laying traps for him, but he says, But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I've become like a man who doesn't hear and whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It's you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. So, of course, David hears what his enemies are saying. He tells us what they're saying. So he's become like someone who doesn't hear in that he doesn't try to defend himself. He doesn't talk back to them. Instead, he talks to God. If you're reading through the Psalms, one of the things you should look for in every Psalm is what I call the turn. It's almost always there. Things are terrible, things are bad, and then there's some turn to God in the midst of it. Here it's in verse 15. But for you, the turns almost always start with the word but. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. I'm sick And my body is weak. I can hardly stand up. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. My soul is crushed. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. I'm so lonely. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. I'm being maligned and slandered and misrepresented online. But for you, O Lord do I wait? It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. So David is saying, God will answer me by sustaining me in this trial, but also God will answer his enemies by vindicating David. That's his hope. You see, waiting on God is not a passive activity. It is asking God to help, making a request to move into action, and then actively anticipating what he will do to answer. Even though David knows this is his fault, he's the one that made a mess of things, he still comes to God and asks God to help. The last part of the prayer then is that he trusts God. He expresses his trust. Verse 21 Do not forsake me, O Lord. O oh my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. End of Psalm. It feels like the thing ends on kind of a cliffhanger, doesn't it? Like, okay, well, is God going to forsake him or help him? And David fully trusts that God's going to help him. And one of the ways we see his trust just, is just in the way that he addresses or calls out to God. It's hard to see in the translation, but he uses three different names for God twice. I just want to show you very quickly. In verse 15, he uses the name Yahweh, which is God's covenant name. He uses the name Adonai, which is the term for master. It has the idea of like power and authority. And he uses the term Elohim, which is just a general name for God. But here he says, my Elohim. See, in the Old Testament, God's covenant promise was I will be their God, they will be my people. And so David is leaning into that promise. He's appealing to God's covenant faithfulness. And so it would read like this I will wait for you, Yahweh. I know you will answer, Adonai, because you are my Elohim. Verse 21 and 22 are are similar. It would read, do not forsake me, Yahweh, because of your covenant promise. My Elohim, do not be far from me because, because of your faithful love. Help me, Adonai, my salvation. By your great power, save me. Listen, friends, David's God is our God. We can turn to him and trust him because of his promises, because of what he is and what, who he is and what he's done for us. And so when we pray a prayer like Psalm 38, in our pain, we say, God, do not forsake me. And then we remember he didn't forsake us. He gave up his own son for us. In our fear, we say, God, do not be far from me. And then we remember He took on flesh to come near to us. He dwells in us by his spirit now. In our weakness, we say, help me. And then we remember, while we were helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. See, this is how you read the Psalms. You read it first at face value. Real people, real situations, real emotions. And then we learn from it words and language to express our own emotion in the presence of God. And then we read it again in light of Christ. How do these prayers, how are our prayers answered in Christ? And So to close today, I'd like to do that together. Uh, I'm going to invite Sarah back up to help me with this. We're gonna read back through Psalm 38. I'll read a verse from the psalm and then Sarah will read a verse from some other part of scripture that shows us how this psalm points to Christ and I thought this would just be a good way to reflect and meditate together on the person and work of Christ in Psalm 38. Psalm 38. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger nor discipline me in your wrath.
0: The Lord disciplines the one he loves. God is treating you as sons. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness.
1: Your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand comes down on me.
0: He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities.
1: There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin.
0: Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed.
1: My iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they're too heavy for me.
0: Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows.
1: Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you.
0: Jesus said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me.
1: My heart throbs. My strength fails me in the light of my eyes it also has gone from me
0: jesus's heart raced his body collapsed on his lungs and the light of the world was put out
1: my friends and companions stand aloof from my plague my nearest kin stand far off
0: he was despised and rejected by man a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. When he was arrested, the scripture says, the disciples all left him and fled.
1: Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long.
0: The leaders plotted his arrest. The crowd yelled, crucify him. The soldiers beat and mocked him. Those who passed by derided him.
1: But I am like a man, a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and then whose mouth are no rebukes.
0: He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth.
1: But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer.
0: Jesus prayed, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will.
1: Do not forsake me, O Lord. O oh my God, be not far from me.
0: On the cross, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me?
1: Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation.
0: But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you.
1: Amen. Psalm 38 is about a man who suffered because of his sin. The gospel is about a man who suffered for sin, our sin. Peter says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. If you've made a mess of things in your life, Jesus comes to you today in that mess to bring you to God. Please let him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your servant David, for his willingness to put his life onto paper for us to learn from. Thank you for your servant Jesus who put his life on a cross for us to be saved by. And would you now meet us in our own pain, in our own confusion, and anger, and loneliness. And would you bring us to the Father to be healed and restored. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.